Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach. Welcome, welcome, folks, to Roach on Recovery. This is your host, Orville Roach, going solo again. No producer, co-host, engineer, call screener, extraordinaire. We'll speak to that a little later. 646-564-9909 is the number. 646-564-9909 is the number if you want to call in and speak to me just want to listen to the show, you can go to our show website. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Again, that's blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Or if you want to call in on the call-in line and listen to the show via that means, you are welcome to do so. So welcome back, folks. Uh, Let's start off with our uh, recap. Our co-host is still um, out, still um, having some spiritual recuperation, if you will, and um, he might be back next week. He might surprise us. We don't know, but we will see. Um, But until then, we will go it alone and continue to keep him and his family in our thoughts, prayers, and sending positive energy out to them as they continue to uh, mourn the passing of uh, his grandmother. The next item up on the recap. Last week we had some technical issues near the close of our show. I think it was about the one hour and 45 minute mark when we went dark. The odd thing was is The only place we were dark was in the middle because callers can hear. I can hear the callers when they would call in and say hello, but they could not hear me responding. I also could not hear audio clips and things of that nature. Now, when I went and then listened to the podcast, it didn't sound as bad as I thought it would, Um, 
it actually played the show close and the, the closing song, etc., which I could not hear, so I thought none of it was playing. Um, it was all caused by a network error on their end, which has not been fixed as of yet, by the way. So to give you advance notice, they informed me today that uh, they are still working on a hot fix. What is a hot fix? Does that mean like we got to get to it right away and you know get this thing fixed? Well, they had a week, you know, a week to do this already. So hopefully we won't have any uh, hiccups. We won't have any technical difficulties. But I'm just giving you advance notice just in case. Um, what's up next? How about Jim Cowboy? Yes, you know I had to go there. The Cowboys last week. Uh, Wednesday was the deadline, 1 p.m. Eastern. Oh, well, it was 3 p.m. Central time, so I guess it would be 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, that they got their superstar wide receiver, Dez Bryant, signed to a long-term deal, five years, $70 million, $45 million guaranteed. Everybody is happy. So that's good news all around for the Cowboy fans. Now, to my New York Giants and their star defensive end, JPP, Jason Pierre-Paul. Notice that little French accent. This guy decides to play with fireworks, and as we've been told since we were children, be careful, watch it now. If you're not careful and you know you don't handle it properly, it can blow off one of those fingers, and that's exactly what happened. This guy had a close to $60 million con- long-term deal on the table, which, of course, the Giants have pulled. And he's now uh, operating under the franchise tag for one year, which he hasn't signed yet, which is odd. Um, so it's his index finger, which rather than, I guess, the amount of damage, he decided to have it amputated because he can recover faster from the amputation than from whatever surgeries they were going to do to repair the damage. And, you know, that's a interesting call, um, I guess. I've tried to kind of like mimic holding my index finger down and seeing what that's like. Because remember, these guys put their hands on the ground in the three-point stance, you know, it's all football language, so... Uh, and to try and power off, you know, like a like a sprinter on the on on in the you know on, on the starting line. So I don't know how he's going to do that. I don't know if he's going to have some kind of prosthetic or something, but that's going to be interesting to see. They say it shouldn't have any impact on him, but I don't know. You know, you use your index, you you'd be surprised how important certain fingers are. On, you know, once you lose them, you know, you think you might be able to, you know. And the other thing which kind of went underreported was he kind of damaged his thumbs. They 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 said thumbs, plural. So I don't know if they're meaning both of his thumbs or just one of his thumbs were damaged. But either way, that's, that's very serious also because if you're going to be missing an index finger and then you've got a thumb issue, I don't know where you're going to be able to get any gripping power or what have you. So we'll see. We don't know how long he's going to be out. It's going to affect ultimately affected the Giants. So that's all I got on the recap. What's up today on our topic? Forgiveness. 
What's the secret? When I was in treatment and working as a staff for Daytop in New York up at Swan Lake, I recall, um, and someone correct me if I'm mistakenly recalling, uh, you know, we have in every facility up on the walls unwritten philosophies. And, you know, Daytop, our common ground, we didn't uh, make them up. These have been around for eons and have come from the great philosophers of life. And I recall the Monsignor, the late Monsignor, sending out a memo adding two during my time. And other than that, I can't recall any two being added. And one of those two was forgiveness. And the other one uh, was restitution. But today we're talking about forgiveness. Now, when when I've done seminars in the past, there has been no seminar that I've done that has caused more energy in the room than this particular topic. Positive energy and negative energy. Just energy, period. And when we talk about Forgiveness, uh, we're talking about three things. Forgiveness of oneself, forgiveness of others, and being the one that is forgiven. And each one requires something, a little something different for each one. It is probably one of the most difficult things to get people to wrap their head around, wrap their hearts around to accomplish true forgiveness. There's faux, F-A-U-X, forgiveness, where you say you've forgiven someone, but deep down, you haven't. And that's evidenced through either what you say or what you do. And so we try and get clients to a place of real, true forgiveness and speak to, well, what, what's required of me to actually get there and accomplish that and experience that? Well, a lot is accomplished, and it's very difficult for uh, us humans to do some of the things that are required for us to accomplish it. But it certainly is not going to stop us from speaking to it because we know how important it was it, it must have been significantly important in the monsignor's eyes for him to add it as one of the unwritten philosophies of life that he wanted all clients who walk through the doors to look up on the walls and see that you know that's one of the things that you have to incorporate in your life along with honesty trust in your environment blind faith And I even added one of the important ones at the end of my description as a clue to uh, achieving, experiencing forgiveness, the unwritten philosophy of no free lunch. If you think about it, anything that you want to accomplish, anything you want to achieve, anything you want to obtain, any place you want to be physically, 
or spiritually or mentally or emotionally. You have to do something and or give up something in order to get it. Sometimes it's time, effort, sweat, blood, tears, things of that nature. Sometimes it's attitude change, behavior change, life view change, but something has to be given up. So let's talk about what we got to give up, depending on which type of forgiveness we want to get. So the first thing we always want the client to do and make sure that this has been accomplished, exercised, and experienced is forgiveness of oneself. Oftentimes when you're out there in the life, you've done things, bad things, dishonorable things to family members and others. And when you are free of drugs and free of alcohol uh, addiction, or, or let me correct that, when you start to experience some time free from those things, the deeds you have done and or the words you have said uh, are now coming back to you clearer, coming back to the forefront for you to examine. And this is one of the things that's very important in, in the 12 steps is when you you, know, you go back to people who you have done wrong and you make amends. Well, here in this one, where we're talking about forgiving oneself, we're talking about looking at the things, because the forgiveness has to go in order. So let's start there. So before I can forgive another person or ask to be forgiven by another person, I first have to forgive myself. So that requires me to examine first what are the things I've done, who have I harmed, how have I harmed them, okay, and did I do these things in pursuit of and or under the influence of drugs and alcohol? And, of course, for our clients, you know, very rarely, I can probably count on one hand, has the answer not been yes. I said these things when I was in the throes of my addiction. I did these things in the throes of my addiction. I said and did things all in the pursuit of continuing my addiction and obtaining drugs and, 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 and liquor and this and that and all of that. And so we say, well, let's not then judge yourself based on that lifestyle. Let's look at you free from all those things. Would you have done, and this is what we call honest introspection, honest evaluation, would you have done those things? Would you have said those things? Would you have treated people that way? Would you have harmed people uh, if you weren't in that life? If you weren't addicted to drugs and alcohol, if you weren't consumed with uh, the other things associated with the addiction lifestyle? 
And usually the answer is no, I, I would I wouldn't have done those things. I would never have done those things. And so if a person can honestly say that, that's the first step. Because we would then say then if if the real you the you that would be free from all of those things would not do things like that, would not say things like that. And especially if you can point to a time when you were of intellectual maturity, whatever age that may be for some people, 14, 15, 16, 17, who knows, where you were not using drugs. Okay, if, but if you started using drugs at age 11 and 12, then you wouldn't have this experience to draw back on. So it would be different for you. But let's say you didn't. Let's say you had a little bit of your teenage years drug-free and where your, kind of your character starts to develop a little bit based on your upbringing and people can kind of get a read on what kind of person you are becoming as you're going into your teenage years and what that so if you can look back and say no i wouldn't i i honestly wouldn't have been that way done those things then you can give yourself a mulligan give yourself a break forgive yourself for those things because you can look back and say no i wouldn't have done that i wouldn't have said that if i wasn't addicted and there was a period in my life when I was, you know, of age a little bit, and I, I, I wasn't like that. I never talked to my family members that way. I didn't treat people the way I did when I was under the influence, and I surely didn't uh, do the things that I did in pursuit of my addiction. Um, I, so you can forgive yourself because you have something to hold on to that makes sense that's logical and practical where that you can ask yourself You hear that? What you won't do, you do for love. You'll try anything, but you won't give up. That's the attitude you need to have in recovery. You've got to love or learn to love yourself first. You've got to be willing to try anything that will help you succeed. And most importantly, you can never give up. Visit us at ocgworks.org. OCG, where hope grows. Okay, we're back on. Uh, we just had another network server error that probably took us down for, seemed to be about 15 minutes. Uh, looked like it was at about 4.15 that it went down. And so what I had to do was uh, restart the whole studio. So 
Hopefully I'm coming through. And uh, they will let me know if I'm being heard or not on the other side. I'm going to run a test audio. If I can hear it, then I know things are back up. How about them Cowboys? Heard that loud and clear, so I know I'm back up. But again, uh, they have not fixed the issue that occurred at the end of last week's show um, that we're knocking callers off. And uh, they let me know that uh, there was a possibility that it would continue this week. So um, this time around, I experienced it on the front end. So we'll see how long we can go before um, we get knocked off again. Hopefully it doesn't happen. But uh, if it does, we'll we'll deal with it. We can uh, go on the fly. I think at the time that I was uh, cut off, I was talking about uh, just wrapping up forgiveness of oneself and talking about the thing that you would have to do to uh, achieve that. And where we left off was that we do an introspection and we conclude that all of the things that we did that we don't feel good about in regards to how we treated our family and and friends and others and and if we've harmed anyone in any way, shape, or form, that if all of those things were done in pursuit of or under the influence of drugs and alcohol, then but if we weren't in that state, that we would not have done those things, and we can forgive ourselves because we know that you know what if I wasn't doing that, I wouldn't have been acting that way, and so and that's the first thing that must occur. I must forgive my be able to forgive myself before I can move on to the next step of forgiving others who may have harmed me. Now, this one is a biggie. It's bigger than the third one, which is uh, asking to be, be forgiven for something you've done to somebody else. The this one probably gets more blowback than any other any other uh of the of the three areas of forgiveness. And there's a reason for that. Because in forgiving others, something deep deep is required of you in order for that to happen. And as I stated in my show description at the end of the description, I gave a clue, and that clue was no free lunch. There's no free lunch. Well, what did I mean by that? Well, in order to forgive, just like forgiving yourself, and to forgive someone else, you something is required of you. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't just get gifted to you. You must do something. And just as forgiving yourself for things that you've done and, and, and so on and so forth might not be that difficult when you take your, walk yourself through the process, but forgiving someone else, that's a different story. Human nature comes into play. Now, why, why is it that it's so difficult? And simultaneous to that, 
So on one hand, we have the question of why is it so difficult? And on the other side of the fence, we have the statement, I want to forgive. There's freedom in forgiving. Why is it that we don't do it? What's stopping us from doing it, doing exercising true forgiveness. At the beginning of the show, we talked about faux, F-U-X, faux forgiveness. Well, now we're talking about exercising true forgiveness. Well, what's stopping us from doing that? Well, what stops us is, is, what's re- is part of what's required. You would have to give up something in order to obtain it. There's no free lunch. You've got to give something up. What do I got to give up? Well, when I'm doing the seminar and, and that question comes up, what do I have to give up? I usually respond first with, how bad do you want it? You say you want to forgive and experience what it's like to forgive because everyone talks about, you read about, I'm sure you've heard about, that you know when you truly forgive, you, the person who's doing the forgiving, gets something in return that is tremendous, fabulous, fantastic. It can't even be just you know put into just regular words. You you are you are empowered. You obtain freedom. Then why don't people do it? Well, as I mentioned earlier, human nature comes into play. And so what we're fighting against is something that's almost instinctual in humans. And that is, well, you're saying I have to give something up. Yes. And that something is what? Well, that something is you got to give up control over that thing. What thing? That thing that you want to forget what that you want to experience. So someone did something wrong to you. Someone harmed you. Someone treat, mistreated you. Okay? And however that has impacted you, however that has made you feel, you continue to carry that around. It impacts your daily life, whether directly or indirectly, whether overtly or covertly. You defiantly say, I'm never forgiving that person for what they did, for what they said. But at the same time, you want to experience what it's like. You want freedom. You don't like the way it makes you feel to to hold on to that, to carry that. Well, give it up. Give what up? Give it up. Relinquish it. Let it go. Drop it. Throw it away. What are you talking about? Well, why are you holding on to it? I'm not holding on to it. Well, of course you're holding on to it. The question is, why are you holding on to it? That's the million-dollar question, by the way. Why do people hold on to it? Why do people hold on to things that make them feel bad? 
things that make you feel bad, they hold on to them with for dear life. They're hugging it, holding it tightly. Don't want to let it go. What are you getting out of that? Nothing. No, you must be getting something. I'm not getting anything out of it. Of course you are. I'm not. You are. So we go back and forth. And I say, if you're not getting anything out of it, then why are you holding it? Squeezing it? Keeping it so tightly? Why won't you just let it go? I can't. Why not? We get There's an impasse right there. And I try and get the person to think at this moment at, of the impasse. Think and at the same time dig down deep. What are you getting out of holding on to it? There's something you're getting out of it why you don't want to drop it, let it go, throw it to the side so you can experience true forgiveness. Not faux forgiveness, true forgiveness. Because with true forgiveness, when you have really dropped it, when you have really let it go, okay, you're free from it. You don't you haven't doesn't mean that you have you forget the experience. You, you don't forget something that has occurred in your life. You you have a memory bank. Okay? But you've let go the the negative feelings regarding it, the animosity, the antagonism, whatever it is, but they're negative that you keep and you now have to answer why do you why do you keep them why am i keeping those if on the other side of the fence by just letting these go i can experience some joy some happiness some freedom that's what i want well why don't you go get it all you got to do is give this up but i don't want to give that up look what that person did to me i'm never going to forgive them then you're not going to get that on the other side of the fence there's no free lunch So then it comes down to which one do you want more? Do you want that joy, that freedom, that happiness on this side of the fence? Or do you want to continue to hold on to that negative experience, those negative feelings, and live your life through that where it comes in and goes, comes in and goes, comes in and goes, and things remind you of it and you respond and react and it's just churning negative energy within you. When you can take a different route. So it always comes back to that question again. Why are you holding on to it? And I get the same answer. I'm not. See, there is, in holding on to it, by holding on to it, I get to control it. I get to keep it in my holster. I get to use it whenever I want to, whenever it might be convenient. I get to use it as a weapon. I get to use it as a crutch, as an excuse. In whatever shape, form, or fashion, I get to use it. But see, once you give it up, truly give it up, 
truly let it go, truly drop it, it's not there anymore for you to use in that negative fashion. It's not there. So now you have to choose. Do you want that? Or do you want the joy, the happiness, the freedom that comes with letting it go and giving it up? And giving up the utilization of that thing. That's what makes it so difficult. That's what makes exercising and experiencing true forgiveness so difficult. Because we like to hold on to the things and for whatever reason hold tight to the the negative energy that comes with it. So now once you are enlightened, once once you're you know, it's it's explained to you and you're educated and you're taught that look, this is actually what's occurring. The process of you holding on to this experience in the manner in which you're doing it, this is how it's impacting you. And if you want to eliminate it from impacting you in this way and be able to get over that hump, get over that fence onto the other side, this is what you're going to have to do. And when someone understands that they're actually what they're doing is giving up control, you know, the first thing that comes into our mind split second is, well, damn, am I going to be vulnerable if I give this up? Am I going to be, you know, like open? No. You're going to be free. You're going to be free. And that's what we mean by there's no free lunch. Because you gave something what you get in return, the freedom from that. Joy, happiness, those other the, the positive energy, the positive feelings. And that's the hardest thing to convince somebody of. And when you work them, you work them, you work them, and they finally say, okay, I'm going to take a leap of faith. Interesting, that last word, faith, because... Probably in no other arena than in the faith arena do they speak about forgiveness more. And when the Monsignor added this as a one of the unwritten philosophies that he wanted all the residents, all the clients of the program to see when they come in the building, he wasn't doing it from a religious perspective. Although that's probably where we hear it the most often. That those who aspire to evolve have to learn how to forgive, truly forgive. Well, in the context of the the addict and in the context of recovery, he realized that forgiveness was integral to the person's well-being. 
their holistic well-being, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, etc. And clients had to learn how to exercise those three avenues of forgiveness, forgive ourselves, forgiving others, and being forgiven by others for things that we've done. So that middle one of forgiving someone else, if you can conquer that one, then the third one is a, is a cakewalk. It might not sound like it, but it is. But people have to get over the hump of that second one, forgiving other people for what they've done to you, what they've said to you. It matters not. Evidenced by what was in the news a week and a half, two weeks ago, maybe a little longer, the nine people that were killed in South Carolina in church, Bible study, and how every family member of one of the deceased, one of the first things they uttered out of their mouth was about forgiving the person who committed the crime committed those murders. I don't know these people personally, but I would surmise, I can just surmise, because since I don't know them, I've never met them, okay? But I would surmise that they they have been taught and have some understanding of the power of forgiving and the freedom that it will give them to move on with their life without the negative energy of hate, the negative energy of resentment, the negative energy, all of the negative energy that can possibly come along with someone doing something like that to your loved one. Now, all we know is they've said it. We're not in somebody else's skin, so we can't say you know whether or not they mean it or not, but we take them at their at their word, we judge people by what they do, and so for the sake of this conversation we'll use that as an example of how they've made the conscious decision that they don't want to live on the other side of the fence with the negative energy that doesn't mean that they have forgotten. Or that they will, of course, they won't forget what has transpired. But what they're saying as an individual is that I I need to get to, it's very important for me moving forward in my life that although I've been harmed deeply by this, I need to exist on a higher level spiritually. I did, this cannot dictate my life moving forward. It can't consume how I'm feeling in a negative way. That really does require some evolving to do that. And I don't think we spend enough time on it in 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 the recovery community in our groups etc on this particular topic 
because one of the things we do talk about is, you know, making sure people have a positive understanding, positive vibes, positive energy. We want to decrease, you know, the negative aspects of their past, okay, the negative impacts of their past. Well, when you want to decrease the negative impacts, okay, of your past, it's not just about no longer doing those things, okay? It's also about feelings, energy, negative or positive. And what things, what else do I need to do in order to get rid of negative feelings, get rid of negative energy, bring in positive vibes and positive energy? And people get stuck at this one. They don't want to give it up. You know, when you can control something, it's hard to give it up. It's hard to give it up when you can control something. When you can, and, you know, rare is the time when someone, you know, someone can point out to you when you're using something as a weapon and whipping it out and, you know, using it conveniently and so on and so forth, or using it as a crutch. I have to say that there are many people who have had some bad things happen to them. Bad things happen to them throughout their experience of being in the life. Things that happen to them out of no fault of their own and things that happen to them out of some responsibility by, you know, by being in the life, you know, that this is these things come your way because of, you know, being in those circles. So you have a little bit of responsibility. Some people have full responsibility because they brought it upon themselves with decisions they've made, etc. So it runs the, you know, the gamut. But in any, in any way you want to describe it, at some point, regardless of it, you have zero responsibility, 100% responsibility, it still comes down to how am I going to live moving forward? Is this thing going to rule me? and dictate and impact how I live moving forward from this moment on? Or am I going to put this behind me and move forward free of it and from it? It's certainly not impossible. It probably should have been the first thing I said. In case anyone wants to throw that in there as an excuse, which I've heard, it's impossible. It's not impossible. It's not an issue of possibility or impossibility. It's an issue of whether or not you're willing to do what's necessary to get to the other side. And in order to do that, in order to get there, something is required of you. And what's required of you is difficult for humans to do. When you get down to the root, 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 you know, it gets down deep into the soil. When you get really all the way down there, at the root of it is, do I want to give up the control over this thing and just throw it out to the universe? I don't own it anymore. I don't control it. Do it. Do with it what you may. I'm done. You know what? I don't care anymore. I'm done with it. You can have it. You want to be free. I'm free of it now. I'm dropping it. I'm letting it go. And experience true forgiveness. You're now free to go about living and accomplishing 
without this thing hanging over you and, and clouding you as you move forward. So that's forgiving others, the hard one. The third one is being forgiven. So you've done things that you don't feel good about. You, you've harmed other people, whether it's seriously or lightly. It's interesting that the the degree of with the degree of which you might have harmed someone else is not relevant to the it doesn't correspond to the difficulty of how hard or easy it is to obtain forgiveness. And this has nothing to do with the other person. This has totally to do with me. Now, we said no free lunch. So if I if I have to forgive myself, I got to give something up in order to get it. If I have to forgive other people, I got to give something up in order to get it. If I want to be forgiven by other people, I got to give something up in order to get it. What do I have to give up in order to get your forgiveness? You know, it's out something different. It's not the same thing for each one. And more often than not, more often than not, the things, I call them things, that's not the right word, but I can't think of another word, that I must give up in order to be forgiven by another person. Ego, pride, arrogance. You know, those type of characteristics that prevents you from apologizing, being sincere in your in your um, in your apology, and in your request for forgiveness, you actually have to verbalize that. You have to ask the person to be forgiven. Now, it's incumbent on the other person for themselves to give an answer. However, here's the key now. Their answer, their answer is not important to whether or not you will accomplish the third item of being forgiven. Let me repeat that. Their answer is not important to the third item of you being forgiven. Why is it their answer not important? Well, it's almost, it like goes in a circle. Because here's the other person on the other side who has to forgive someone. That someone is you. And if they want true freedom and they want to be, you know, free of this negativity that's been, you know, beating them down, they have to forgive you. They have to give it up, give up control over this this stuff that they've been holding on to. And here you are on the other end of the spectrum asking them to be forgiven. And one is not related to the other. So you can ask, you can be sincere, and you can do everything you're supposed to. You know, your ego, your pride is checked, the whole nine yards. 
you are humble in your request. And the person can say, I'm not forgiving you for Jack. Well, if if it was dependent on the answer of the other person, and 50% of the time the person said no, then what would we be left with as the person asking? So the reason I say it's not dependent on their answer is because what's important is whether or not you, the person asking, are in your heart and in your mind and in your soul and your spirit sincerely and from the most humblest position without ego and without pride asking to be forgiven. And once those words leave your mouth, backed up by those that those sensibilities that I just named, okay, you have done your part. You have done your part, and then you can go back around to number one and forgive yourself. Remember I said it's like a circle? So you're asking to be forgiven, and the answer doesn't depend on what the other person says. It's whether or not you are coming correct with the request. So it's not a full request. It's serious, it's with humility, it's without ego, without pride, you are sorry for what you've done, what you've said, whatever it may be, but you have no control over what the other person says. The other person is in their space where they have to make a decision on what side of the fence they want to live on. You have to just get to the point of doing the ask, and once you've accomplished the ask, you're either going to get an answer, you're going to get an answer, or no answer, so the no answer is like a no, N-O answer, or you'll get a, a yes, I forgive you. But remember, how you move forward is not dependent on either one. What's important is the position that you come from so that you can go back around to the front point of forgiving yourself, knowing that you've done everything in your power to you know, request forgiveness for the acts you have done. So if they forgive you, it's wonderful. It's cherry on the cake on the top, icing on the cake, I should say, cherry on the ice cream. But it is not dependent on it because if it was always dependent on the other person, you may never accomplish it, and that couldn't be. That couldn't be. So each one has required us to give up something. So, circling back around in the context of recovery, this thing of forgiveness, I think, gets blown over. Not purposely. But I think it's just because it is a how can I word this? This is it is a emotionally time consuming task to get someone to a place of intellectual understanding of what needs to take place and then a emotional and mental 
space where they can exercise it. And it may, and this is not something, by the way, and if I'm giving this impression, I apologize, this is not something that, can, that happens overnight for every person. Because the circumstance of the act may require more time. So if you mistreated me in the way you've spoken to me versus you have physically abused me, well, they're not comparable in terms of acts. And so the impact that it has on me is not going to be comparable. And so the process that I have to go through to get to where I want to get to in terms of being able to forgive the person who has done this to me may take longer. And that's okay. Because I only care about one or two, one, one or two things. Two things. No, I care about two things. That's what I should say. One is that at the very least, at the very least, the person has an intellectual understanding of how the process of true forgiveness works. And if they have that intellectual understanding, or once they get it, it's then incumbent upon them, at whatever point they feel they are ready to then exercise it. That's the second side. And so at the very least, I have to make sure that you have the understanding before you leave. You then have to decide when you want to exercise it. This way, no one has any excuses. No one can say, well, I I don't know how to manifest that. I want to forgive, but I'm not sure how to go about it. It's our job to make sure that you do know. And then it's also our job to try and urge it along because we know that if you can get over to the other side of the fence, if you can just get over to the other side, that you'll get over there and you'll look back at the other side of the fence and say, man, why did I wait so long to do that? Look how wonderful I feel. I could have I could have received this eons ago, but I was fighting it. I refuse to relinquish control. I had it wrapped so tight around me. I needed to, I I didn't want to be exposed or feel vulnerable. I thought I'd be open to attack. You know, these are the things that we think about. When in fact, it's the exact opposite. You are empowered when you do it. You're the one with the power. It's a little bit of irony there. You get power by giving up control. Let me say that again. You get power by giving up control. So I don't get to, you know, bring that up anymore if I've truly resolved it and forgiven I don't get to use it as a weapon anymore conveniently whenever I want. If I've resolved it and forgiven. I don't get to 
use it as a crutch anymore if I haven't exercised forgiving myself, if I haven't exercised asking for forgiveness to those to whom I may have harmed in my family, in my circle, so to speak. Because it is true, we know this as providers, we know that people don't, don't often know how to work that process of, of achieving and, and, and forgiving. That's not being a teaching school. And even in the faith arena, it's spoken about often in abstract terms. There's never a detailed explanation on how to actually do it, accomplish it, and get to the other side. It's just, you know, forgive. And too often, because of that, it ends up just being faux forgive. F-A-U-X. Faux forgive. Not real. Not true forgiveness. Because the next time I'm ready, I'll bring it right back up again. Well, that's not forgiveness. Okay. We are at 10 past the hour, I see. So... I think I have covered this one sufficiently, and I apologize for our technical difficulties that interrupted us in the first uh, re-upped and reconnected. Um, So I see the callers. Thank you for your patience, and thank you for those of you who hung in there while we uh, ironed out the technical difficulties. We're going to take a uh, brief music break, come back, and do some recovery support time. And so sit tight, and uh, we'll be back in a few minutes. Didn't want to hear, but I knew that it would come. 
Recovery is a program of OCG Radio. It deals with many topics related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment, and recovery. Our recovery support time is a show segment where you can receive support from our host for any questions or issues you wish to present related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment, or recovery. You can reach our host live by calling 646 That's 646-564-9909. Or you can send your questions via email at any time to ocgworkca at gmail.com. That's ocgworkca at gmail.com. And our host will respond to your questions on the air. Roach on Recovery. Recovery Support Time. 
a time for us to help you. Welcome back to Roachon Recovery. That was a nice break. Recovery support time. All right, let's go to the phones. We're short on time, but we got some calls. Hi, welcome to the show. Can we have your first name and your hometown, please? Uh, yes, my name is Chappelle. I'm from Redwood City. Hi, how are you doing? I'm fine. Um, I just called to ask... Um, What's the best way to stay clean and sober? When? For the rest of my life. Well, that's a simple question and a complex question at the same time. When you say the best way. Yes. Because no one has written up a quote-unquote best way yet other than knowing that that part of my that that part of my life when I was an addict is no more and I'm committed to doing okay. something different committing to living a different way and how that manifests itself as long as it's positive and constructive is unique to the individual So the most important thing is just the commitment that you've made that this I'm not living that life anymore. I'm living a different life. Okay. There's no magic pill. There's no uh you know, complex science to it. None of that. As a matter of fact, people have said over the years it's so simple. It's hard. It's so simple. It's hard. Yep. Can you can it's you get so into simple, a little more hard. deeper than that? Excuse me. Can you get a little more deeper than that? Well, the the, you know, the reason why they've said that over the years, it's so simple, it's hard, is that all it comes down to when you really take it down to it's 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 uh bare bones is a person making a decision on what they want to do with their life. Take, take Take, for example, someone who's a heroin addict. Well, the first thing that must happen to the heroin addict, that they must get off of heroin. And there's a process of that happening because it's a physical addiction primarily. But once they lick the physical addiction, and then they deal with the psychological aspects of, you know, why they use drugs and all of that stuff, okay? okay? They're home free. They're home free if they've made that commitment to not go back. They're home free. So that's what they mean by when they say it's so simple, it's hard, because obviously there are people who go back to using heroin. 
no matter how right. how much they struggle to get off of it, they go back. Correct. You know what I mean? Yes. I pretty much understand you. You just have to make a decision and, and stick with that decision. Yeah, you gotta you gotta arrive at a place, and it's the only way I can describe it, Chappelle. It's like a it's a spiritual thing where you know you have reached the point where that's whatever you've done in your past is now your past. It was just a part of your life, a, a, a time in your life, and you're doing something totally different moving forward. And it's something you know within yourself. It's You don't even have to scream it from mountaintops. You just know. And it's like a, it's hard to describe. It's That's why I've always said over the years, it's like a spiritual thing that happens within you, and you know that that life is done. My new life of living drug-free is beginning. And then you're just free to focus on whatever you got to accomplish. You know what I'm saying? Whatever you got to do to get back on track. You're free to just focus all your energies on that. You don't have to worry about, am I going to relapse? Am I going to use again? Because you've already solved that part. Okay. Yeah, you're right. It's, you're right. I got it. It's so simple, but it's easy. I mean, it's so simple, but it's hard. Correct? It's hard, yep. Okay, thank you. You're very welcome. I heard that uh, years ago when I was a resident, someone said that. It's so simple, it's hard. And they're right. It's hard to make that commitment. Why is it? There's no free lunch. Remember what we talked about today? You got to give something up to get it. Not everybody's willing to give something up. Okay, let's go to our next call. Hi, welcome to the show. Can we have your first name in your hometown, please? Yes, my name is John from Oakland. Hi, John. Can you speak up a little louder, please? Yes, yes my name is John from Oakland. Hi, John. Great. Yeah, uh, my question is, uh, what do you suggest someone do that is in treatment with no outside support? An example, no immediate family. Great question. Um, have come across that numerous times, uh, you know, in, in, in my time. Um, it's not, it's, as a counselor, it's not a, a situation I like to see someone walk in and knowing that, you know what, there there is no family support out there for them. So the first thing and the thing I must focus on the most with this individual, i.e. John, is I have to make sure that he gets built, built to a point that he is self-reliant. That So knowing that he has no family out there and that everything that's going to be around him is going to be through his own reaching out, through his own involvement, through his own effort and work. So me knowing that, I have to make sure that John is prepared to do this on his own. And then any support group that he attaches to, any friends he's able to make in the recovery world, 
any people he's positive people he's able to build around him slowly as he moves through this process is just icing on the cake. That's how I would approach it. That's how I do approach it with people in your situation. Excellent. So that's the mentality you should have. Sorry, I spoke over you. What what were you saying? Um, So it's very important to build a support network. That has to be a part of the plan. It's important to have a support network. But more important, John, you have to build yourself up to the point that you are reliant on yourself so that your sobriety is not dependent on an exterior thing. You follow me? Yes, I follow you. So it is wonderful to have an external support network. It's wonderful to build a friend network of positive people. It's wonderful, and you should work towards those things. But more importantly, John has to make sure that he is self-reliant on his sobriety. This way, this way, if it takes time for you to build that network, it has no impact on whether or not you stay clean or not. Right. You're staying clean because you want to stay clean, and you're building your network because it's something that's important to you. You want to have people that are positive and constructive around you supporting you. So you're just going to take time to build that. And while you're doing that, you're still walking your path. Okay. You follow me? Um, yes, I do. I, uh, okay. Thank you for your, thank you for your answer, sir. Have okay, you're very welcome. Bye-bye. Where we used to see that more was when we, had, when we were providing services to adolescents, which we haven't done in a year and a half, but we did for 26 years. And, yes, kids would come in. They had no family. And so we became their family. Families of other kids became their families. But we had to, you know, build that kid up, that teenager up, and prepare them that, look, you're going out there and you're going to be by yourself. And so that's how we we have to prepare them for what their reality is, not what ideally we would hope for there to exist out there. The reality is there is no no family. So that's how we have to prepare. Okay. Hi, welcome to the show. Can we have your first name and your hometown, please? Hello? Hello. Hi, welcome to the show. Can we have your first name and your hometown, please? Michelle? From East Palo Alto. Hi, Michelle. Hi. Um, I just my question is um, how to how to deal with um, integrating a, a marriage and male relationships in a program. Break that down for me. How to. Um, have a marriage and yes. be, and make a, a, in, and integrate male relationships inside the program. Okay, so you're married. Yes. And you want to be able to have responsible 
uh, friendships while you're in a treatment while you're in a treatment program with males. Yes, yes. How do you create those boundaries? You have to create them. Mm-hmm. You get to determine what your boundaries are in terms of conversation. Mm-hmm. You know uh, the limits of you know subject content. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's what you deem is appropriate or not for us to talk about as a male and female just being friends. You get to determine the physical boundaries. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Whether or not you are allowed to hug me, whether or not you are allowed to touch me, whether or not you just shake my hand. Oh, you know, you get to determine what your boundaries are, and then here's the important part. Once you determine what your boundaries are, you then have to enforce them. Okay. That's the part that people always leave off. They design and set their boundaries, and then they don't enforce them. You have to enforce them so that the other parties know, hey, these these are the lines. I can't cross this line with this person. Correct. And it's perfectly acceptable. It's perfectly acceptable for you as a married woman who's going through a treatment program to establish your boundaries that you feel comfortable with. Correct. You I'm get just trying to, do to figure that. out those boundaries. That's okay. You can take as, whatever time you need, but it's your responsibility to define them and then enforce mm-hmm. them. The execution is the hard part. Well, you have to enforce them, otherwise it's like having mm-hmm. no boundaries. Because if you right. don't enforce, right. if you don't enforce them, what's going to happen is people are going to intrude upon you, mm-hmm. and you can't allow that to happen. You have to, no. and it's it's great practice for when you leave the treatment program, when you practice setting boundaries and then enforcing them. Okay. It not mm-hmm. only helps build your self-confidence and your self-esteem and the ability to do that and define what your terms are of this friendship and this relationship, it's great practice. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. So you've got, you got to enforce it. Okay. So creating the boundaries and then That's first step. executing them. Second step. Most important okay. step. Okay? okay? I want you to... Thank you so much. Uh-huh. I want you to give us a call back and let us know how you're progressing with that I, next week. Oh, yes, I will. Okay. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. All the time, we teach boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. We have a boundaries group. People have to learn about boundaries, male and female, by the way. And the hardest part, as she stated, is not determining what the boundaries are going to be, defining what the boundaries are going to be, is enforcing them. Well, why is that the hardest part? We're always worried about what other people are going to think about us. We're always worried about whether we're going to be liked or not. We're always worried about whether we're going to be accepted or not. And we allow that to get in the way of respecting ourselves, respecting our boundaries, and enforcing them with other people. And when people do that, they realize that, you know, it's that people aren't going to, uh, you know, think negatively of you. They're going to respect you. This person has boundaries, and they're, and they're enforcing them. You gain respect. 
Remember that old saying, it's better to be respect, respected than feared or liked. I think I made up the liked part. All right, let's go back to the phones. Hi, welcome to the show. Can I have your first name, please, and your hometown? Hello? Hello? Okay. We'll person back on hold because they're not, obviously not ready. And we'll go... Okay. Network errors. Once again, it looks like. Let's see. You seem to be doing good here. Do I have any error messages back there? No. I just lost two calls. So I'm not sure if uh, I just had another network error, but both calls, two calls dropped off. So until I hear otherwise, I'm going to proceed. I'm going to go into my X-Files because we've got a ton of stuff, ton of questions in the X-Files. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I had a good question I wanted to start off with from Mike in Alameda. How does depression affect addiction and how does one overcome it? Depression can have a significant effect, and I'm presuming what he means is not addiction per se, but recovering from addiction. Um, it, it can have a significant impact and if it goes untreated. So we have to make sure, Mike, that if you are suffering from depression, or, or if you're just asking this as an, an example question, but either way, the person who is suffering from a, a depression must ensure that the depression is treated, explored, looked into, um, et cetera, um, and not left to just sit out there because uh, left untreated, as with any uh, any mental health condition, okay, whether mild or moderate, um, could result in someone going back to using as a means of dealing with dealing with the depression. So we want to get we want to get help with it. All right, let's see if our phones are back up and we can actually take a call. Hi, welcome to the show. Can we have your first name and your hometown, please? Michael with San Mateo. Hi, Mike. Hi. What is the worst drug you can come off of? Well, uh, we can argue about that for days and days, so this is just my own personal opinion. Um I don't think it has been surpassed yet, but the worst uh, illegal drug um, is still, in my opinion, heroin. Okay. Uh, methamphetamine is coming, you know, it, it's coming da- coming around the quarter turn, uh, down the back stretch, trying to catch up, but I still give an edge to uh, heroin. Okay. Is that it? Why did you ask? I'm curious. Uh, I was asking because uh, I have a, a brother that's on heroin, and okay. uh, 
he says he said it wasn't the hardest thing he had to come off of, but he he continues to shoot and smoke and uh, chase the dragon and all that stuff. Right. And he swears he can quit any time he wants to. Well, that that statement will be tested when he decides that he's ready. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Okay. All right. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Okay, let's go back to another call. Hi, welcome to the show. Can we have your first name, please, and your hometown? Uh, my name is Dave from Fresno. Hey, Dave, welcome. Um, yeah, I was just wondering, is it necessary to do a 12-step um, after recovery, or it would be just getting involved in church be good enough? Um, I was just wondering about that. No, it's to to literally answer your question. No, it's not necessary. It's whatever is what you can get involved in anything that's positive and constructive and has people who are supportive of the lifestyle, the positive lifestyle that you're now going to be living. And whether that's through a 12-step support group, whether that's church, whether that's a sports league, whether that's what you know, whether that's whatever. Okay, okay. there's nothing written in stone that says that that's what you have to do is go to a 12-step. Doesn't okay. mean that I wouldn't advise it, but it doesn't mean that that's all that's out there. Right, because I, I like going to them. It's just that um, you know, every once in a while is. It's good. It seems like if I go too much, it's it just uh, it's like too much of a reminder of of using. And, and that's yeah. that's fine. As yeah. a matter of fact, I'm I'm glad you stated it that way because for some people that's real. For some people, that hey, yeah. you know what? I, I can go you know once a month, a couple of times a month, and I'm good. I don't need yeah. to go seven days a week. All right. Thanks. Whatever works for you. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. Let's get back to the X-Files. Um, well, since the last question was on 12-step, let me start. Let me go to a 12-step. Omar from Glendale why is AA and NA called a spiritual program? Well, Omar, I'll give you a quick answer because of steps three, five, six, seven, and eleven. I think, I think, from if I remember from memory, those five steps uh, directly reference God, and so it's easy to see why uh, it is called a spiritual program. Some call it religious. Uh, to me, they're not one and the same. They do reference God in the 12 steps. And so that's probably why it's uh, some people refer to it as a uh, spiritual means, spiritual program. Okay, next up, uh, what they're saying. So, moving along. Hillary wants to know how long should someone be in treatment? It depends. 